The covenant of Abraham holds immense significance to our faith. It represents God's promise to bless all nations through Abraham's descendants, ultimately fulfilled in Yeshua. It establishes a foundation for salvation, highlighting faith as the main element. It underscores God's faithfulness and serves as a reminder of His redemptive plan for all humanity. The following is part three of six parts in this teaching series. Well, welcome back to the Gospel According to Abraham. I hope you're learning a lot and have been blessed in the process. I hope you've been challenged in the process as well. Uh, today, this time, we're going to talk about the covenant itself, how it was cut, how these things happened. Who did it? Well, it's important that we know and we understand this because, like we have said prior, how can Abraham keep a covenant when he's not here? So we know his descendants are here, but how does he keep the covenant? Well, did he walk in the declarations of the covenant? Did he actually cut the covenant itself? Who cut the covenant? Well, we, we ended with the scripture, and we're going to pick back up with that. It's Genesis 15, 17. It says, came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark. Behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp passed between the pieces. Well, the Hebrew for smoking is for the smoking furnace is the Hebrew word ashan. And the Hebrew word ashan, smoke, literally means just that, something that is smoking. It's not like a cloud or just a little bit of smoke. It means something that is smoking. There's a lot of smoke. These are the things we look at. Now, does this have any relation to anything else? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we look through the scripture to give us clues as to who exactly walked between the pieces. I know you're going to say, well, God did it. Yes, God did it. But let's look at this, okay? Let's understand this. Exodus 19, 18 says, Mount Sinai was on a smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire, and the smoke thereof ascended in smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. See, the whole mountain looked like a smoking furnace. The whole mountain looked like a smoking furnace. So that was something that was revealed there, okay? Was God trying to reveal and trying to show the people at Mount Sinai, again, a little clue as to what happened prior? Does God just do something in one part of Scripture, or does He work in cycles? Does He reveal something here so that He can reveal something later? Does He declare something over here so that it can be revealed over here? How all these work together? That's exactly what we see. Isaiah 4, 5 says, The Lord will create upon every dwelling place of Mount Zion and all their assemblies a cloud of smoke by day and a flaming fire and night. Isaiah 62, 1 says, For Zion's sake I will not hold my peace. For Jerusalem's sake I will not rest till the righteousness go forth as the brightness and as, as, as the salvation thereof as a lamp that burns. The brightness there is fire. And of course, what's the Hebrew word for salvation? The Hebrew for salvation is Yeshua. So what are we looking at? The brightness, the smoke, the lamp, the fire, all these things. What about in Isaiah 6? You know, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth, the whole world is filled with His glory. And the entire temple was filled with what? Smoke. And not, just, not incense, smoke. See? So now we have that. Now what about this? So we have a smoking furnace. What about furnace? What's the Hebrew for furnace? It's tanur. Tanur is the Hebrew for, for, for furnace. And we look at this in Malachi 4. It says, Behold, the day comes that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud yet do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day the Lord comes, that shall burn them up. Thus says the Lord of hosts, and it shall leave them neither root nor branch. Isaiah 31, 9 says, He shall pass over his stronghold for fear, and his princes shall be afraid of the incense, says the Lord, whose fire is in Zion, and his furnace 
is in Jerusalem. His fire and his furnace. Uh, what's the point of that? Uh, guys, I'm telling you, the point of that is something else that was given before. We're talking about covenant, issues of covenant, and how God is, is cutting and, and doing these things, how God has revealed himself here, and how he's showing it throughout the entirety, the entirety of Scripture and how he's going to do these things. So what's next? How about a burning lamp? The word for burning is esh. Esh is fire, okay? Esh means something that is burning, something that is on fire, something that's it's, it's lit up, and it's just going to burn. Well, do we see any other scriptures that relate to fire when it comes to God? Well, yeah. Exodus 3, 2 says, The angel of the Lord appeared to in the flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. That of flame of fire in the midst of the bush. God dwelled in the bush, and that was revealed in fire. That's why God was there in the bush, and the bush wasn't consumed because it was the Lord dwelling there. Exodus 24, 17 says, The sight of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. Deuteronomy 33, 16 says that God dwelled in the bush. And again, we're talking about fire, and that was burning. When the Lord revealed himself, he revealed it in fire. Now, he does it in many different ways, but this is just one way that was done. Deuteronomy 4.24 says the Lord is what? A consuming fire. Not just a little fire, a consuming fire. Wow. That's, that's pretty big, isn't it? You don't think of a little flame there, do you? You think of a big, huge fire. And especially when you think about Mount Sinai, and the whole mountain was like it was on fire, like it was full of smoke. What, what about this? A burning lamp. Well, what's lamp? Lamp is lapid. And it means a lamp, it could mean a torch, uh, it could mean something that is flashing, it could mean lightning, it means something that is burning. These are the things that, that we look at for lapid. Now, is there other scriptures that, that relate to that? Yeah, Exodus 20, 18 says, All the people saw thunderings, lightnings, the noise of the trumpet, the mountain smoking. When the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. And Ezekiel 1, 13 says, The likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, like the appearance of lamps and it went up and down among the living creatures and the fire was bright and out of the fire went forth lightning the word there is flashes for lightning again fire torches flashes lightning all of these things if you really want to do a study on that you can go to exodus 20 and you can read and break that down and see that the exact same things they saw there is the exact same things that they saw in acts chapter 2 not going there today, but you can see it is revealed in the exact same way. So what we learn is this. Abraham was given the covenant, but he could not keep the covenant in his own strength. He could not keep the covenant in his own might. And furthermore, when he was gone, how can he keep the covenant? We know a covenant goes to the descendants, but even how can they keep the covenant for them and those that come after them? How can they do this? Well, they can't. God himself, through the furnace, the smoking furnace, and the burning torch, the burning flame, kept the covenant. God and Yeshua were those two pieces. The Father and Yeshua were those two pieces that walked through those, that, that walked, or the, the two that walked through those pieces, and they are the ones who made the covenant. So you can understand, back to Galatians 3, when it says that Yeshua did what he did so that the blessing of the covenants that was from Abraham could come on the Gentiles, well, how can you give something that you're not a part of? How can you give something that doesn't belong to you? How can you give something you don't have? 
And we say, well, the Father gave it. Yes, the Father gave it. But who was to keep the other half of it? Yeshua. Yeshua was to keep the other half of it. And so Yeshua and the Father were the, pieces, were the ones that walked through the pieces. And the Father says, I shall keep this covenant. I will keep these things. I will establish these things. And Yeshua says, yeah, I shall establish these things. I will keep these things in Abraham's stead for Abraham. I will do this because he is faithful, but he can't do what needs to be done. I will come and I will do what needs to be done. And it's Galatians 3. Yeshua did what he did so that the blessings of Abraham could come on the Gentiles. That is amazing. And so how can Yeshua give the covenant? Because he's the one who cut that covenant. He was the one who said he would keep that covenant. He was the one who was establishing it, but not just that. He was the one who was showing how it would be kept. So Galatians 3.29 says, So if you are a believer in the Messiah, then you are Abraham's seed. And heirs or partakers of that covenant and that promise that was given to him. Hebrews 6, 13 says, when God makes a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater than himself, saying, surely blessing I will bless and multiplying I will multiply. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. God made the promise. God cut the covenant. And then it says, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. Well, how did he do that? Again, the Father and Yeshua walked between those pieces and they said, we will establish this covenant and we will hold to those things. Ezekiel 20, 37 and 38. And I will cause you to pass under the rod and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant and I will bring you into that place of the covenant. And then he says, and I will purge out from among you the rebels and those who are not walking in the covenant, those who are not walking in what the Father has given. That's what we need to learn. God says that he's going to cause you to pass under the rod. Now, we know what's the whole idea about passing under the rod. When you read through the Torah, you learn that they put a rod out, and then when the animals passed under the rod, every tenth one belonged to the Lord. And then the other ones were purged out of that. See, so when Ezekiel 20 is working on that premise that you are not to say for every tenth one, is it good? Is it bad? Is this the one that I want to give? Same thing with our brothers and sisters. When God causes the people to go and to pass under the rod, he's determining who is his. And we cannot look at our brother and sister and say, but I don't want them in my flock. I don't want them to be part of, part of you know, given to the Father. You can't do that. God established it. God calls who he calls. And so that's what we need to look at, okay? God calls who he calls. And you know what? That is you. But you know what? It's also your brothers and sisters with you. First Chronicles 16, 13 to 17 says that the covenant that was made with Abraham and the oath to Isaac, it was an everlasting covenant. It was an everlasting covenant. So here we have prayers going to the Father and his, and his declarations are being made that the covenant that was given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is everlasting. Now, how long is that? Guys, that's forever. It's forever. An everlasting covenant doesn't go away. It doesn't stop just because uh, we felt like it, or it doesn't stop just because somebody says we don't see it. It just continues, and it will continue forever and ever. See, something that we need to pay attention to is this. 
when God made a covenant with Abraham, he did not cut a separate covenant with Isaac, and he did not cut a separate covenant with Jacob. He established the covenant with Abraham. He cut the covenant with Abraham and then extended that covenant, the exact same covenant, to Isaac and to Jacob. And he said, in you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And that covenant was given and passed and then given from there and passed. And the promises that were given was there. Remember, this was not just for those that were naturally born. It was for him, for his descendants, and all that were in his household. Remember, all that were in his household is not just those who were naturally born. It's all those who would come to be partakers of the promises in the household. Is that not us? Okay, so we look at this. Did Abraham have any part or responsibility in the covenant that was cut? Well, yeah, of course. What good is giving something to you if you don't take it? Okay, he had to receive that and he had to walk in that because God gave promises. He gave the covenant. He gave these things to Abraham, but Abraham had to walk in it. He had to learn just to do what God said. Yeah, well, he always did. Yeah, he, he did. But do you think he was never tempted in that? He had to learn to, to listen and to be patient. We know he had to learn patience because he kept asking, God, you know, when, when is this going to happen? He waited 25 years for the birth of his first son, right? So how does this work? Well, the question is this. Was that legalism or was that obedience? See, there's this big argument out there. You know, oh, that's legalism, that's bondage, or is it just plain old obedience? That's what we need to, to learn the difference between. See, what's the difference between legalism and obedience? I'll tell you the biggest reason, your heart, because obedience is just doing what the Father said. Legalism is somebody making you do what was said. See, you can do the right thing the wrong way. See, so we learn that. What is the heart behind what's being done? I mean, we, David learned that uh, big time with the issue of the ark. You know, he wanted to bring the ark back to Jerusalem, but he did it the wrong way. And somebody lost their life because of it. See, so we need to learn not just to do the right thing, but to do the right thing the right way. And what is the right way to do it? Uh, it's not in all the rules that follow it, guys. It's the heart behind how we do what we do. See, so we walk in the word of the Torah, but we walk on it with a heart of obedience. In other words, Shema. We learn to walk in a way that's pleasing to the Father. So, is this obedience or is this legalism? Grace is not an excuse to do whatever you want. See, no, we walk in grace, not, not legalism. Well, you know, I agree with that. But don't use your grace as a license to sin. So I've heard somebody say before, right? Well, that's what we need to learn. We truly need to learn to circumcise the heart. Yes, we need to learn to circumcise the heart. Deuteronomy 10.16 and Jeremiah 4.4 tells us the same thing. We need to learn to circumcise the heart. God says that he will circumcise the heart, but then in other places it says, you circumcise your heart. Well, if God says he's going to do it, why do we still have some responsibility with it? Hmm. Because we have to learn to submit ourselves. That's the circumcising your heart part. Romans 2.27 says, Shall not circumcision by, by which is of the nature, if it fulfill the law, judge you who by the later circumcision does transgress the law? For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is one outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is of what? Of the heart. 
So how do we circumcise the heart? Very simple. Cut away the things that don't need to be there. What are the things that don't need to be there? Let me ask you this. When you were redeemed, doesn't the word redeem mean purchase? The word redeem means you were bought. Were we not bought with a price? Well, then here's the hard part. That means you don't belong to you anymore. You belong to somebody else. You belong to the Messiah. And if you belong to the Messiah, then you're going to walk and do the things that he tells you to do. You're going to do it his way, not our way. Because, see, we cannot come to the Lord and say, I give you everything that I've got, but I'm going to keep living for myself. No, we have to give of ourselves to him. And that's that circumcise your heart thing. See? So why did this have to happen? Look at this with me. Romans 4, 9. So comes the blessedness then upon the circumcision only or upon the uncircumcision also? For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. I agree. Verse 10. How was it then reckoned? When he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. Verse 11. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had yet being uncircumcised, that he may be the father of all of them that believe, though they be not circumcised. Now look at this. That righteousness might be imputed to them also. So what are we talking about when we say righteousness? Who's the them that we're giving? And what about the also part? These are the things that we look at. When God, received, or when, when God gave that covenant to Abraham and Abraham received it, it was in faith before circumcision was ever mentioned, right? And then the circumcision was given as a sign of that covenant. And so what we learn is that this was done, why? So that righteousness could be imputed to them. Who's the them? Those who are uncircumcised, better known as the Gentiles. So that righteousness could be given to them. Here's the key phrase, also. Again, remember, I told you, no one's replacing anybody. No one's better than anybody else. It's just that we need to learn to be a part. We need to learn to come together and be a part of the covenants that God gave to Abraham and to Israel. What I'm telling you is that the covenant of Abraham still exists for Jew and Gentile today. Remember, if we are a believer in the Messiah, Yeshua, we are grafted in to what? The same covenant. God did not cut a different covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He, it was the same covenant that was established and moved and carried on. And it's that covenant that we are partakers of. Because of what Yeshua did, he could bring us into that covenant. And that is what we're talking about. Though uncircumcised naturally, we can be circumcised in the flesh and we can be partakers of promises and all the things that the Father has given us. We need to learn to dwell together, Jew and Gentile. Remembering, of course, too, Jew is one tribe out of 12 that formed a people in a nation of Israel. Okay? So there are other tribes, other people out there that are parts of Israel that aren't found yet. But whether they are naturally born or whether they are grafted in, it's the same nation. It's the same people that God says he has redeemed. James 4, 11 and 12 says that we are not to judge one another. We are to walk with one another, not speaking evil of one another. Why? Because God gave the Torah, not us. And so we need to learn to walk with one another, 
dwelling with one another. So the, again, the question is, is the blessing for the Jew? Is the blessing for the Gentile? Are there separate blessings for each one? That just doesn't make sense. How can we say, okay, so you are a Jew and we've got the Torah and you, you keep that and you do all these things. You guys over here, you guys are the Gentiles. Forget about all the things I told them. I've got something better for you guys. It doesn't work that way because what have we now done? If we're supposed to be one body, one flock with one shepherd, how can we do that? That's just causing you know, fighting and bitterness and all these things that God does not want to be a partaker of. How does that work together? Again, Galatians 3 tells us we are partakers of the covenant that God gave to Abraham. If we are a believer in the Messiah, we're given into that covenant. And the, the blessings and the promises, the gospel was preached and declared to Abraham. And we are a partaker of those things. Look at Romans 4.11. So he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of righteousness of faith, which he had, yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised. Why? That the righteousness might be imputed to them also. We've got to remember that when the, the God made a promise and blessing to Abraham, he wasn't circumcised yet. And that's faith. We come in faith. The sign came later. The seal came later. The covenant was established in faith. And don't we walk the same way? Aren't we established the same way? Yes. Remember, back to Galatians 3. Yeshua, our Messiah, did what he did so that the blessing that God gave to Abraham could come on the Gentiles. Wow. That's a promise. That's where we need to look at. And so if that's the promise and the covenants that came on the Gentiles, we need to look at the blessings and the covenants and the promises that God gave to Abraham, who had Isaac, who had Jacob, who had 12 sons, and they became a nation of Israel. So who are the covenants and the blessings and the promises to? Israel. Yes. So where do the Gentiles fit into this? Is there a separate God for the Gentiles? No. Is God the God of the Jews only or the Gentiles as well? God is the God of Jew and Gentile. God, Yahweh, is Yahweh to all those who will come to Him. He is the Father to all those who will come and give themselves and to be a partaker of the life and the covenants and the promises, all of those things. Remember Galatians 3.29. If you are a believer in the Messiah... You are the seed of Abraham, and we need to learn to walk in that. So the question is, okay, so are we saying that we have to do the things that the Torah says? That's not what I'm talking about, guys. See, Abraham walked in faith, but Abraham walked in Torah. And what we need to learn is that these two statements do not contradict each other. And so how does that not contradict each other? Because we don't really understand Torah. If we understood Torah, then we can understand covenant. If we can understand life, we can understand you know, why the Torah was given to, to a people who already had covenant. Wait, what? Yeah. Think about that. God brought his children out of Egypt, a people called Israel, out of Egypt. Brought them 
to the mountain. He did not take them through the wilderness just so that he could see them sit and squirm in the heat. He brought them away from their bondage. He brought them away from their transgression. He brought them away from the things that held them back and the cares of life, if you will. Remember Mark chapter 4, the cares of life that steals the word and steals the seed. He took them away from those things. He provided for them, gave them provisions in the wilderness, gave them everything they would need so that they would receive what he had for them and to walk in what he had for them. Remember, God said that bringing them out of Egypt was an act of redemption. It's in, it's in Exodus. He said that when he brought them out of Egypt, it was an act of redemption. So when he redeemed them, then he gave them his word to show them how to walk. That's what we're talking about. He did not give them the Torah to show them how they better keep his covenant. Mm-mm. No, not at all. Covenant was already established with Abraham. Covenant existed before, but he redeemed them, brought them out. They were already partakers of the covenant. Then he gave them his word to show them how to walk in the blessings, how to walk in the word. You got to understand what the covenant was, what the Torah was. Hmm. Sounds interesting, doesn't it? More about that next time. We'll see you soon.